1: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 312, and we are recording on January 4th. It's the first show of 2022, Mm -hmm. y'all. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hooray! Welcome!
2: New Year! (laughs) Yeah!
1: We've had a little break. Mm -hmm. We'll see if we remember how to podcast. (laughs) Uh
2: (laughs) I think all my things are on. It looks right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, And we figured, since this is the first show of 2022, that we would do a sort of retrospective of the past year slash looking forward to this coming year. But how the show normally works is it is, in fact, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send us. Your requests for maybe there's a specific kind of book that you love and you're having trouble finding options or maybe you need a recommendation for a friend or relative, uh, maybe for your book club or travel or gifting or whatever. And you can send those to us either via email, getbooked at bookride.com, or you can drop your question in the form that is in the show notes over on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive request, please, please, please put time-sensitive and then the date you're hoping to hear back by in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best to get back to you by that date, but no guarantees. We get a lot of questions. Mm. Uh, So yeah, we might send an email. You could keep an eye out for that. It could happen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Stranger things have happened. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. So our first little segment here, is gonna be as chosen by Amanda, mm. best books of 2021. Amanda, I always like waffle on what best means. I'm uh, like, well, these are my favorite. Yes. Like I'm not like saying like these are the best, like quote unquote literarily the best. Mm-hmm. What do you have like a personal definition of best? Uh favorite. <laughs> yeah. I okay. don't really, I don't <laughs> care.
2: Do I not care? <laughs> yeah, I don't care about the best literary books of the year or like I don't care about trying to make it an objective metric because that is pretend. Mm. It is pretend. To, right. Like there right. is no objective best. Um, Like, we don't do best paintings of the year. Like, that's not a thing, because you can't objectively (laughs) decide that as a society. So, yeah, definitely my favorite.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say, before we get into these, that I did my sci-fi fantasy picks over on the holiday gifting episode and year-end favorite episodes of SFF Yeah. So I'm going to use this show as my opportunity to talk about my favorites from other genres Mm. that I didn't already get to talk about places. So I'll leave links to those episodes in the show notes if you want. My... Sci-fi fantasy picks there on other podcasts for you. Mm -hmm. Amanda, do you want to go first? Sure.
2: Should we do our first sponsor? Sure. Let's do our first sponsor.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. So these are in no particular order. Um, and I've picked
2: five. And my first one is Cultish by Amanda Montell, And this was a work of nonfiction about things that are like culty or cultish it's in the title um so not like (laughs) cults you know not like nexium or whatever but like soul cycle or crossfit there are a lot of fitness ones and i just got a peloton so this is like high on my mind right Mm. now because it is you get into some of these classes and it's like wow are you high like what is happening right are you having a spiritual experience that i do not relate to but also, like, MLMs, lots of things that are vary on the scale of harmfulness. Like, there's nothing necessarily wrong with CrossFit or Soul Cycle. There are a lot of things wrong with MLMs, all of them. So there's, like, you know, an ascending scale of harm that some of these things can mm. have. And the, the thing that I really liked about Cultish is that Amanda Montell identifies why we all like we all kind of instinctually feel like soul cycle is a little bit cultish right like you read about it and you're like that's Mm. a thing like not necessarily a bad thing but like that's a that's a vibe and she takes the that's a vibe and breaks it down and like really articulates it so like the language of in group out groups uh, the price of leaving there's always like a charismatic leader which i keep talking about soul cycle because that's top of mind but like the instructors right Mm. And in CrossFit, it's often the same way. Like the big CrossFit, a- CrossFit athletes, MLMs all have those. So like the characteristics that make something kind of culty are are laid out there. And I really like that, like articulation of things that we all kind of instinctually feel about something. Like the articulation of a vibe is a real skill. So yeah. So Cultish by Amanda Montel
1: is my first pick. Jen, what about you? That sounds fascinating. I should probably read that. It's so good. <laughs> So I, my first pick is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers, which I actually, this is the charm of Get Booked. I read this for the show for a question mm. and ended up loving it so much. It is a contemporary novel about a woman named Grace Porter, who is black. She is 28. She is a PhD in astronomy and she's like falling apart. Like she's having a life moment. And I'm not going to get, like, super into the details of this um, because we've talked about it on this show. But, like, what I loved about this book is the writing is stunning. Like, oh, my God. I loved the way that Rogers put these sentences together. I loved watching Grace's personal arc. Like, it is a journey. And... I was really here for it. I think it's super relatable, like, to be in your late 20s and, like, trying to figure out everything, right? Family expectations, personal expectations, burnout, overwork, like, systemic injustice, like, all of these things. Mental health, like, it's all in there. And it's just such a beautiful, raw, open, like, lovely st- I just want to read it over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers.
2: All right, my next one is The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. And I haven't looked at the list of titles we topped out on this year. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But this one is probably on there. If it's not, we probably came close. But Uh,
1: We came close on that one. We didn't officially. Yeah,
2: Yeah. well, give me time. It's a new year, so you're going to hear more (laughs) about it. But The Jasmine Throne was the first book in a new fantasy series. It's like epic fantasy based on uh, Indian mythology and history. And it's like so angry. And also pretty queer. And like that combination Mm. of feminist, angry, queer, not about white people. 1000% of the time, I'm going to read that. 1000% of the time. And I (laughs) loved it so much. Like there's a princess who's been exiled because she has opinions. And she's trapped in this like temple that has these kind of mystical abilities to move around. And it knows who's in it. And it's just there's a lot of kind of supernatural stuff going on. And then one of her maids has a secret identity as um, a former temple child from that temple. All of the temple children from her her childhood were murdered, except her. She escaped with her and her brother. um, And she's been holding that secret for her whole life. And now she is, you know, a servant to this princess. There's, like, political intrigue. The um, ruler, the princess's brother, is an awful misogynist sociopath, I'm pretty sure. Like, he's a sociopath. And so everybody teams up to overthrow him. It's just, like, it's an adventure, but not a romp. There's a difference, right? Mm. It's not a romp. This is not, like... Mm -hmm low stakes fun found family stuff this is like high stakes not fun found family stuff like there's a lot of stakes um it's very serious i think like it's a book that takes itself very seriously and i really liked that um and it's just full of rage and there is kissing it's not again it's not like low stakes rompy kissing it's like we're maybe gonna die kissing that you know like it's a vibe it's, keep saying that but this is the vibe so that's the jasmine throne by tasha Suri. <laughs>
1: I also loved that book. I We definitely talked about it over on SFF. Yeah, it's so freaking good. Uh, let's see. Oh, my next one is The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich because, oh my gosh. So I, when I read this, I was like, and is it maybe the best book she's ever written mm. and then now i started reading the sentence mm. and i'm like well is this one maybe <laughs> like are they are they simultaneously the best books they're super different though they're super different this one is actually inspired by the story of her grandfather mm. who worked as a night watchman and like escaped from, you know, like a residential school and like was trying to fight legislation in D.C. that would further disenfranchise the Native populations of America. And so like it's so it's historical fiction. It is populated with these amazing characters. Thomas, which is the grandfather, the character based on her grandfather, um, is the night watchman of the title. But there's also Pixie, who's like a local young woman who is trying to figure out like her family stuff. And then also her sister is missing and she's trying to get in touch with that. And then there's like a boxer and like a younger kid on the reservation and a teacher who's white and like all of these just so... It's so, it is like that sweeping historical epic, but the characters are so finely drawn that it feels almost mundane, even though the events are so big. Like, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but it's an amazing feat is what I'm saying. And I really do think it's a must read. Mm. So, yes. And, but also at the sentence, which, like I said, I'm halfway through right now, like is blowing my mind. So, you know, as always, Louise Erdrich is like out here killing it. Um, but that's The Night Watchman.
2: All right. Um my next one is Slippery Creatures by KJ Charles which is similar to The Jasmine Throne was written with me specifically in mind. Like KJ <laughs> Charles sat down and was like, "How can I write a book that Amanda Dawn Nelson in Richmond, Virginia is guaranteed to pick up?" And then this is that she did it. <laughs> so this is like a <laughs> immediately post World War I. What would that be? Like the golden age, I guess, or like it's not Edwardian. Yeah, whatever. Immediately post World War I. Yeah, um, yeah. UK and it's about a veteran of the war who has inherited a bookshop, a very chaotic and mismanaged and messy bookshop from his uncle. Um, his uncle, who took him in after the war when he had no one and no money and no one would hire him, which was the case for a lot of men coming back from that war, especially the wounded. They could not find employment, the economy crashed. It was a really tough time. Um, and so his uncle sort of saved him. And so he takes over this shop when his uncle dies and is like determined to make, you know, a, a going concern of it. But then some people from the government show up and then some criminals show up and they're all looking for one thing. They're all looking for like the information is all that they'll tell him. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, well, your uncle had it and you are here now. So it's obviously here and you know what it is. He's like, I super don't. I just. And then he gets really mad because he doesn't like to be threatened. And then into his bookshop comes a dapper, upper class gentleman um, who interrupts a robbery when someone is coming looking for this information and wills store and he, he finds it so entertaining he's like well this seems again like a romp this one is actually a romp both an adventure and a romp." <laughs> so like would you mind if i helped you because i'm rich and bored and this seems like a good time and will is like sure i ain't gonna have nothing else to do so they team up there is once again some kissing a lot actually way more than kissing this is pretty up there on the steaminess rating like there's There's a lot. It's not closed door. (laughs) Very open door. (laughs) Lots of open doors. Um, And so there's like this, you know, um, there's like spy stuff, a mystery. Like what's the information? Where are they supposed to find it? Is it in this bookstore? Also, it's in a bookstore and with like two handsome men who love each other. It's just great. It's super fun. It really brought me out of my kind of... COVID-y reading slump that 100% of us had where we just like could not Mm -hmm. read anything or pick up anything. This is the book that really got me out of that. So that's Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles. And that is the first book in a series. I'm not sure how many are out yet, but I'm on hold for the second one. So yeah.
1: Nice. Yeah, my romance pick that I didn't already pick for our Book Riot Best Books of the Year, which was How to Find a Princess by Alyssa Cole, is The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zoe Axelrod. This book, I was like not prepared for how much I was going to enjoy this book. Like it is, I think it's because it's so much about music and the like, like complicating the follow your dreams narrative, but also it is like a feel good romance like that. I was just ready for this combination. Mm-hmm. It's the first in a series, which I'm super glad about. Like, I need more books with these characters. But Tony Bennett. Haha, get it. Uh, the main character, Tony. She is... So this is like a second chance romance. When she was young, she moved to a small town um, and met Sebastian, who was like, you know, a little bit older and they were teenagers. And she sort of like both hero worshipped and had a crush on him. And he like they had plans together to like escape their stultifying small town lives and like go to the big city and make it as musicians. And he just disappears when like he goes without her. So unforgivable. Right. And now Tony is like grown up. She is playing in the Philadelphia Independent scene. She's, like, trying to deal with, like, how to be a musician, which, as we all know, very difficult. She ends up trying out to be a temporary member of a very, like, on-the-rise band. And Sebastian is the manager. Whoops. Plot twist. And so everything, like, sort of spirals out from there. But I loved the cast. I loved the writing. I loved the pacing. I, has, I really struggled with pacing in 2021. Like, I don't know exactly how to explain it but i had a really hard time sticking with certain levels of pacing and mm-hmm. reading i'm assuming because pandemic brain and this book was perfectly paced for me which is saying something and it's just like i don't know it's just great there's so many great things about it Which <laughs> is super articulate it's like i talk about books for a living it's great that's the <laughs> end of the story so that's the girl with stars in her eyes by zo axelrod
2: All right. My fourth one is She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Surprising no one. Yes!
1: (laughs) Amanda wrote it down first. So I I was like, okay, I see to you that one. But oh, so good.
2: It's so good. And every time I say the title, I feel like flames should
1: erupt on either (laughs) side
2: of me. And I should be like, metal, like She Who Became the (laughs) Sun. Because that's how that book makes me
0: feel. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's, um, anyway, uh, Jen and I have had b- multiple long conversations about whether or not yes. the Mulan comp for this is right. Oh. And I like shruggy face. That's just how it was comped to me. Like that's what it was described as um, like a more historical and genderqueer and much more violent version of Mulan. Which, like, maybe. Like, if you, the, mm. the, maybe the, like the outlines of Mulan. I don't know. Go read it. See, this is how I'm going to trick you into reading it. Go <laughs> read it and then email us your opinion because I know all of you, like me, like having opinions and saying them. So go read it, have an opinion, and let us know. So, She Who Became the Sun is about a girl who's born in China, uh, who's like the third daughter. She has no value to her family no future, right? And the bandits come through her village, kill her father, uh, basically her whole family, and her her brother, who was supposed to be this, you know, very important guy in the family who was destined to do great things, just, like, dies of despair once his, his dad is murdered. And so the girl takes his identity and his, his destiny that, like, the gods have given him and decides she's just going to pretend to be her brother for the rest of her life. And through that, she will take upon herself his destiny of greatness so she goes and joins a monastery and she lives as a boy for ever like for until you know her young adulthood which is like the book kind of skips around in time so you go from her childhood to her young adulthood and i don't know like when i went into it i was like okay so she's gonna take over this monastery she's gonna do some political machinations and somehow end up in power no no what she's gonna do is like murder a lot of people <laughs> and then but like peacefully as a as a monk would. It's bananas. It is bananas. She schemes her way into like military power. She overthrows generals and emperors and gods. And it's just metal like blah. I'm making like Wolverine <laughs> fists, as if claws are about to come out of my hands. But as I've said on the show before, the thing that I loved about this book is that it really it's so far outside of my lane. And also I think outside of just general like white progressive very online mm. lane that i just didn't know what to do with it like i did not know cuz i you you've, if if you were a reader like me like a millennial in the us you get into this like oh i know what this is going to be you know like this is going to be a trans man or something like like this is this is language that i know and you will be incorrect because it is not it's not going to fit into these which is the point right like it just doesn't fit mm. this character doesn't fit into any of the things that i have come to kind of expect from queer literature. It just blew it. It just blew my mind. It blew my mind. It's so punk rock. I cannot even. So that's She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which I can apparently only describe with musical genres.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for the sequel for that one. It's going to be amazing. So we're going to talk later about how much, for me, nonfiction I read this past year. Uh And one of the first books I read in 2021 was The Believers by Lisa Wells. And I feel like I didn't hear anybody talk about it. And I really loved it because I do think it really complicated my thoughts about what it means to be, like, an environmentalist, to be interested in sustainability, Mm. to be thinking about, like, what does the climate change apocalypse look like it is fascinating so wells goes around to these like different people or yeah people who are involved in different movements about environmentalism and sustainability. And they're all like super different. Like some of them are in cities, some of them are rural, some of them are itinerant, some of them are queer, some of them are religious. Like it's just like super broad. And they all have a different relationship to the earth, to their own role as like an environmentalist or whatever they're calling themselves, like to what their goals are. Um, And it's not like... And everybody's great. Like, it's like, again, it, it's like complicating the narratives. Like, what are the pitfalls of these movements? Like, what are they getting right? What are they getting wrong? What are the, like, weird things about these people? Like, what what are the weird things about ourselves? And Wells is like, it's a very, uh, ooh, empathy exams. Uh, Leslie Jameson? Yes. It's like a very Leslie Jameson sort of vibe. Like, she's bringing in her own experiences with health issues, with the environment, with, like, growing up in a certain way. And I just thought it was fantastic. Like, I just think it's really fantastic. It is also sort of triggering and that like she talks with the survivors of the wildfires in California and like she's like she's t- going into these places that like we are actively like struggling with what's going on in the environment and climate change in these places. So it, it, it's heavy, but it's so good. I just thought it was great. um, And I would really love to talk about it with other people. So y'all have an assignment. Read The Believers by Lisa Wells, please. And thank you.
2: I'm on, like, a big climate book jag right now. Mm. So I will add that. I had not heard... You're right. Like, I had not heard anything about that book. (laughs) No.
1: I know. I, like, don't... I don't know why. It's great. It's really, really good. I wrote it down.
2: Yay. All right. So my last one, my last... Top five of the year uh, is Matrix by Lauren Groff, which I did hear a lot about. (laughs) I actually (laughs) picked up Lauren Groff as an auto buy for me. So I didn't I went in without knowing anything about it. I had no idea what it was about when I got it. And so much to my surprise, it's about like a 12th century nun in France. who's like a relative of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And she's based on a real person. Maybe. Like a kind of a person that we think existed, <laughs> right? This poetess of Henry's court, who was Henry's sister, maybe. So it would have been Eleanor's sister-in-law, maybe, uh, who got who left court to go join a nunnery and became an abbess. I think is the right word, proprius? Abatess. I don't remember the difference. Abbess, I think it is. Thank you. Not Catholic. So an Abess. Uh, and and so that is a person who may or may not, like that's the mythology that has come out of that time. We don't know if this person was, was real or not. Or if the poet from Henry's court and the Abbess were the same person, I think is the historical question mark. But in this book, they are. And in this book, she is a lesbian and is in love with Eleanor. And so when she shipped off to the nunnery because she is inconveniently tall and like impossible to marry off so the court gets tired of her and they like send her away her heart is totally broken but then she kind of like bucks up to her assignment which is to be in charge of this convent which is what she does and it's like almost a memoir like you are with her from the time she is i think 17 when the book opens to her death in her old age, um, just as she is in like oversees this nunnery or this convent. Again, don't know the difference, not Catholic. Please don't don't email me. I don't know. I'll Google it later, I promise. <laughs> but she spends most of her time like figuring out how to keep the men out, which I just <laughs> You could tell this was written during the Trump administration. Like it is very angry. And it is angry in a way that's like, what if we just didn't? Like, what if women just didn't like what if we hold ourselves up away from all of this nonsense that's going on and refuse to participate or cooperate what would happen like this is the, the question that lauren groff is answering with a 12th century nun because lauren groff's brain is a fascinating place it's so good i would have never if i had read the synopsis i would have been like mm, pass like i love history but I'm not religious. Uh, my, my my like childhood kind of religious upbringing was def- was very Protestant. Like was not Catholic. So uh, this is very outside of my wheelhouse or historical context or anything. And I also don't know anything about the 12th century. Like that's just not a thing that I've read anything about. I went down a whole rabbit hole. Know all this stuff about Eleanor of Aquitaine now. Why? Lauren Groff. It's so good. It takes this, like really, I think impenetrable historical time where everyone was named Henry. Why? Why? Right. <laughs> so it's like, why would I bother reading this? It's like Tolstoy. Like everyone has the same name. I'm gonna need a family tree. This is too much. It takes this really impenetrable historical period and really humanizes it in a in a just super useful way. And it's short, it's punchy, it's angry, it's great. So that's Matrix by Lauren Groff.
1: All right, my last pick, also nonfiction, was so interesting and so fun and will give you earworms for days. <laughs> it is Decoding Despacito by Leila Cobo, who is like a music person like a high ranking music person i can never remember her title but she's like a big deal in uh the music world and this is so like i love pop music um, I, I like I, I in much similar to my reading I, I listen to all genres of music to some extent um but i do really have like a soft spot in my heart for a little bit of top 40 so obviously i was like oh despacito like tell me more and but what's so cool about this book is it's an oral history Of the biggest Latin hits of the past 50 years. Mm. So, like, we're talking, like, Gloria Estefan and Ricky Martin and, like, Feliz Navidad and, you know, the more current stuff like Despacito and... She talks to producers, she talks to musicians, she talks to the singers, she talks to the songwriters. Like she talks to all of these different people about like how did these songs become hits when it was notoriously difficult for especially like Spanish language music to become a hit in the US market mm. outside of like very small regions. So it is a really interesting sort of survey of like how culture spreads and it will absolutely like you there's playlists for this book thank god because you're gonna have to listen to all of these songs it's fantastic and i discovered artists that i hadn't already known and like i just thought it was so well done it was so interesting like i love a behind the scenes look at the music industry like that's already interesting enough but to do these songs some of which were like I mean, I, I feel like if you came of age in like the 80s, 90s and aughts like I did, like these songs are, you know, anchored to certain moments in your life already. So that was super interesting to think about. So, yeah, again, that's Decoding Despacito, An Oral History of Latin Music by Leila Cobo.
2: And those are our best books of the year.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our next section, we're going to talk about, lol, we're going to talk about how we did with 2021 reading goals and tracking. Uh, But before we get into that, let's hear from our next
0: sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer, always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced, slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. I am like
1: making jokes about this section because I like I did not have reading (laughs) goals in
2: 2021. Me either. And I realized that I usually don't like I, I don't have I certainly don't have a number goal. I think that that's mm. impossible to have when you have to read for a work. Like, you, yeah, there's just yeah. no way to n- nail down what that's going to look like. I have things that I focus on sometimes, like some years I want to really focus on reading more LGBTQ literature. Mm-hmm. And like in 2020, I really focused on reading more indigenous literature like that was. So sometimes I have focuses like that. I had nothing for 2021. Don't die yeah. was my I think. Right. Like yeah. literally uh don't die was I think everybody's goal. So But yeah. I did I did track everything and it looks like you did too. So we can talk about what our reading year looked like as opposed to goals.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know, and I used to have like goals and my perennial goals are like to read more mystery and thrillers because it's the section I'm weakest on. Mm. And to read more internationally and like in translation, because I'm also pretty weak there. But like I just I like I don't between work reading and then like what my brain needed Mm. and the general availability of certain things, like what is actually like in front of my face. Like I just I have failed at this for years now, (laughs) like literal (laughs) years. I have failed to read more internationally, more in translation and more mystery and thriller. Like I just don't even know what to tell you about that. So but yeah, I definitely did track my reading. I got my reading spreadsheet and um, my story graph app, my secret story graph account. I have a secret Goodreads account. <laughs> and yeah, well there you go. I mean, yes, obviously. Like nobody can see my star ratings because that's no. Mm. Because no. But yeah, so do you wanna do you wanna go first? Sure.
2: So I read sixty books in twenty twenty one, which is consistent with Every year since 2018, and I know this because my spreadsheet is eight years old, <laughs> like I started mm-hmm. in 2014. Every year since 2018, I've read about 10 or 20 books less than the, than the year previous. So this has been a pretty consistent That's so interesting. Trend. Yeah, and it, well, like as my job started getting more, mm. like less about reading to make content, and more about managing yeah. content, I just read less. And then my kids got old. I don't know. I couldn't put a finger on, like, what exactly. It's a different thing every year, right? Like, the pandemic, I read yeah. less because everyone read less. Because how can you? How can you? Like, my brain just wasn't <laughs> there. Like, I, 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 D, I got better at D-ing, uh, DNFing as I mm. got more into, like, this kind of career. So it's a lot of things. But it's consistent. Yeah. So only 60 books, which is an all time low for me. <laughs> there were also like a, a bunch of long ones. Like I've been listening to the audiobook of Grant's biography, which is like 900 pages long for over a year. Like it just takes me forever to get through long books now. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The
2: things that I historically keep an eye on in general, uh, the amount of women that I read, I read I do, 81% of what I read were books by women. 37% were by people of color. 30% were by or by queer authors or about queer characters or both if I could finagle it. And then sadly, <laughs> 3.4% were by indigenous authors um, and 3.4%. I don't know why that's the same, were works in translation. Uh, I wasn't focusing on reading a lot of works in translation this year. So that just fell. When I'm When I'm focusing on it, I can usually get it up to like 10, but I wasn't paying attention. Interestingly, forty-six percent of what I got was from the library, and this is a thing that I I like do now for my for fun reading is I just go through the new release like section of my Libby of the Libby app from my county library, and if it looks like I look for things that are interesting that I had not heard of yet, and I put them on hold, and then that ends up dominating my reading for the year <laughs> because uh, you know all your holds come in at once. That's like a rule. Right. I don't know, like a physics. It's physics. All your holds come in at once. I think that's probably 80% of it was digital. That's an all-time high for me. I like I'm just not reading in paper anymore. I just I'm not. And that is because of the pandemic because when in 2020 when publishers closed and the factories closed and the warehouses closed and they stopped sending out paper galleys, I mm. kind of used that as an opportunity to be like, "Hey, you can just take me off that list forever because I'll just get yeah. it I'll just get it on Advance or like I'll get the galley digitally." And it's not started again. And I don't spend my own money on books. I use the library. So I don't really have paper like I just did a purge I rid of two bookshelves in my house to make room for my peloton which now the internet's gonna I don't know break my legs but like I did sorry (laughs) I read it a lot but like I just don't have as many in my house as I used to because of COVID that's just what
1: happened mm
2: -hmm. Um, and then I guess the last interesting thing is the genre breakdown I mostly read nonfiction this year it was almost a quarter of my reading was narrative nonfiction or memoirs or whatever and then after that it was 20% literary fiction 17% uh, 17% fantasy, 14% sci fi, and then 13% mystery thrillers. And the rest were split up. The thing that I noticed is that I don't read YA anymore. I only read three ah. works of YA last year. Not on purpose. Just not. Just didn't. I don't know. I don't. I have no explanation for you. <laughs> the three that I picked up were ones that I picked up for the show. And I loved all three mm. of them. So it's not like I don't yeah. like YA anymore. I just. I do know that like being inside a teenager's head, the older my kids get, the more annoying I find that because like I spend enough time <laughs> with kids this age, I don't need to read about it. Thank you. So when I do pick up a work of white, it's usually about like 18 or 19 year olds, like almost new adult, but they're still high school students or they just graduated or something. So I mean, it's got nothing to do with the quality of, of the books. They're still great. Mm. I'm just in a different place, I guess, right now. Yeah. But it might change. Yeah. So that's it. That's all the stuff
1: I tracked. Go, Jen. <laughs> All right. So I have been pretty consistent over the last few years. Um, I read around 130 books a year, Mm. generally speaking. And that that has really sort of evened out. Might actually be pretty I remember actually I got my first I got my first job in a bookstore at Borders right after graduation in part because on my like cover letter when I dropped off my resume I wrote that I read more than 100 books a year cuz I was back then I was tracking in like a little reading journal mm. but like I I guess that's like pretty average actually around over 100 books a year I was delighted to notice that um, and this was not a deliberate goal it's just I this is just it's just nice that this mm. is possible I, 55% of my reading was by authors of color And 32% of my reading. Either like Amanda was by uh, LGBTQIA authors or included LGBTQIA characters or both. Um, so that was also really nice. This is my fiction and nonfiction split is uh, like this. is Going to sound not very even, but like this is this is huge progress. It was eighty seven percent fiction of various genres and thirteen percent nonfiction, which is huge for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I I noticed it as it was happening. I read so much nonfiction last year. Not Not on purpose. It just kind of happened. And I really do think it's related to what my brain could absorb during pandemic times like anything that was too angsty was right out because I was I'm like I am a walking ball of angst I cannot have any more I can't add any to my brain like I can't I just can't and uh, and like I don't know just like I said pacing certain things and like nonfiction actually turned out to be very doable for me so 13% nonfiction is huge progress um, in terms of genre breakdowns it was 29% sci-fi fantasy speculation fiction, which I just kind of all lumped together. 17% nonfiction of those genres, which is huge. Like I said, that's huge. Uh, 15% YA, 15% romance, that scans. And then everything else was a mix of like crime, mm. mystery thriller, historical fiction, contemporary literary fiction, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, So nothing super surprising there except for the, the nonfiction bump, which again, pandemic reading, like it is what it is. But I'm not sad about it, actually. I really, I've always liked nonfiction. I just don't tend to read a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a nice change of pace for me. Digital versus physical, 85% <laughs> digital. That's so high. It's so high. 15% physical. It is 100%, like you said, Amanda, because, I mean, A, I, I, when I moved a few years back, I got off of all mailing lists, mm-hmm. pretty much. There's like two like tiny publishers who are allowed to send me books in the mail. But otherwise, it's all digital. And then I used to get physical books from my local library, but that, like, became not a thing. Right. So then I switched it. All of my library reading became digital. So, like, yeah, I, it's, I do sometimes buy books, and that's that 15%. Like, did I already have it on my shelf? Did I reread something? Or, like, did I, you know, go out and buy something because I wanted to? So... Yeah. And then we've had this question a few times on the show. So I made an attempt to track it this year. I'm not I don't think this is like super comprehensive, but I think it's probably at least representative. Like what I pick for myself versus what I pick because work demands that I pick it. And it was actually more personally selected than work selected. It was 66 percent. I picked it just because and 34 percent. I picked it because I needed it for work. That's So that's lower. Yeah, Yeah, that's way lower than I thought. So it's interesting. I can't decide if I just did a better job of that last year, like reading because I wanted to read as opposed to because I felt like I needed to read it for work, or if I've just overblown the percentage of work reading that I do habitually. So I'm going to track it again this year. We'll see what happens. I'm super curious.
2: Oh, that's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I yeah. might
2: too. I I might too. Yeah, that's it. Are you counting work that's like reading just for the podcast or like reading that you're doing? Yeah, for...
1: yeah. So if I read it for a podcast, like if I literally read, I was like, I need a book like this mm-hmm. for one of the podcasts I'm on. So I'm going to read this one and see if it works.
2: What about like worky, like worky books? Do you know what I mean? Those two. Yeah, like okay. we do
1: we did some group reads here at work yeah. or I pay, I read stuff for professional development reasons. Right. Like I'm counting those as well. So it's anything that I read either for a show or for professional development. That's fascinating. Yeah, super interesting.
2: I want to know. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of my, look at, I'm just like glancing at my spreadsheet now. And I think a lot of these were books that I picked up, not because anyone had asked for them on the show, but because I read the synopsis and was like, someone's going to want this on Get Booked. Like, Ooh. we're going to get a question. Like, I just finished You Sexy Thing by Kat Rambo, which is a very yeah. cozy speculative fiction, like Becky Chambers sort of book, which I'm sure I mm-hmm, will talk about on mm-hmm. the show very soon. Because I read the synopsis and was like, someone's going to ask. Like, this is going to 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 fit a question
1: i think that counts yeah
2: okay cool well that's probably a lot then
1: i think that counts as for work nice i would count it yeah
2: interesting all right let's talk about books we maxed out on
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you want to like should we go down and if it's us we'll talk about it okay
2: well this one was definitely me i accidentally went over (laughs) six weeks by mer Lafferty uh i talked about four times on the show this year (laughs) Which is not that many. We have 52 shows a year, like four a month. Like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> uh, this was also me, Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala, which is a lovely, uh, cozy mystery.
1: I think this one's you. Yeah, yeah. Beneath the Rising by Premium Muhammad. I was super hype on this book last year. I read it for myself and then started recommending it to, to anyone I could figure out to, how to slip it in there. Um, it's like a gothic-y, like Lovecrafty rewrite that's like, again, like queered and inclusive and really bizarre and fun. And yeah, I was super into that one.
2: Uh, the next two are me. I, yeah. Bookish Life of Nina mm-hmm. Hill by Abby Waxman. Brilliant Life of Eudora Honeyset by Annie Lyons. Both of those were me. This is probably both of us.
1: Yeah, we're both responsible for the continued maxing out of Chilling Effect <laughs> by Valerie Valdez. Which look,
2: if you like that one, go read You Sexy Thing.
1: <laughs> no, there you go. There you go.
2: Um, I think this is Me, the Conductors by Nicole Glover. This one is you.
1: I think it was probably me. I yeah. did get really, I got back into the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas this year, and so a bunch of people got recommended that. I don't know if it was all me, the Dead Jin Universe books by P. Jelly Clark. It probably was mostly me. Yeah,
2: not, I have not think I've read those.
1: Oh, okay. So that's definitely me, though. Uh, Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Satanto.
2: That one was me. I'm all the mysteries. You, you, you're you, right. I hadn't noticed that, like, you're not a mystery reader,
1: really. I, I don't read it. Well, actually, that's a lie, though, because these next two, I think, were me. Oh, yeah. Even As We Breathe by Annette Sonic claps out. Oh, that might have been both of us. Actually. Yeah, I think that, that might have been us. both of us. But then they all fall down by Rachel Housel Hall. Those were like the two mysteries I read. <laughs> and That's not true. I read. Sli- I, li- I think I read five. Mm. I think I read five of some- mysteries of some kind in 2021. And these were two of them.
2: Uh, the last one is Me, What Big Teeth by Rose Jabo. I This is a YA novel, one of the three that I read last year. <laughs> and I realized that if a YA novel is described as like gothic or Shirley Jackson-esque, I will read it. Like that's the way to get me to read mm. YAs is to make it a gothic, like compare it to something gothic. Mm, mm -hmm, all right mm -hmm. last segment reading goals lol (laughs) (laughs) for 2022 (laughs) um i'll just keep going i got uh, so i do want to keep up the i every year i read mostly women um every year i read about 40 percent people of color so i'd like to continue that and i will continue tracking it i quite like letting my library holds list take me on reading adventures. so i'm going to keep doing that because it worked for me so Mm. far and then my last one is to not drop below a book a week because that's 52 books in a year. And, you know, like I said, every year I read a little bit less than I did the year before. But I, there's a point at which I don't want to go below because then it's mm. just like, I don't know. I feel I get like weird identity feelings about it right. that I have not examined <laughs> and are probably not like super valid. But I, I think 52, I don't know. I liked the cadence of what I of how I read this year. So if I could keep it around 60, that would be... I'd be super happy with that or if it went up, but I just don't want to go below
1: a book a week. Yeah.
2: Because then I start to feel uncurious. You know what I mean? Like so much right. of reading for me is about curiosity and about learning. Like right now I'm on this climate change jag and then I'll read some novels about climate change. And this is just how I, that's just how I read and how mm-hmm. my brain works. And if I stop reading, then I stop feeling like myself in that way. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you read more than one book at a time, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, so it's just a finishing one a week kind yeah. of situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, yeah, sometimes is... I mean, I go in fits and starts. Sometimes I haven't finished anything for three weeks, and then two Same. days later I finish like five books. Yeah, um, you get a weekend so... and you're like, here we go! <laughs> <laughs> Knocking them all down. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it is interesting. I, I can't imagine... I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever drop below a hundred. I mean, I, I never say never. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? Like life changes, and sometimes you get busy, and you just can't read as much. I will say, my partner's mother got us a New York Times Games subscription nice. for yeah. And let me tell you, the amount of time that Spelling Bee is taking up in my my reading life, like, <laughs> it's all coming out of my reading time.
2: Well, I was thinking about that too. Like, I. I... I didn't watch TV through the Trump administration. Like, I sort of Mm. famously only watched The Office for four years. Right. And then last year, when that administration ended, um, I wanted to watch more television. So, like, I'm doing that at night instead of plowing through a million books. I also listen to a ton more podcasts than I used to. Which mm-hmm. takes up audiobook time, so it's not that I'm not taking in content about things I find interesting. It's just For not sure. necessarily written content. So yeah, yeah,
1: no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm always trying to read more internationally, more in translation, and more mystery and thriller. I'm always failing. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that makes any. I like don't have hard goals around it because, whenever I set those, I immediately don't know how to balance them with my work, reading, mm-hmm. and other stuff. So like, I we'll see. However, I am going to steal – I'm since I'm always reading multiple books at a time, like always, I am going to steal this concept from the sentence by Louise Erdrich, the main character, Tookie. She has an easy stack and a hard stack, and yes. I was like, oh, that's what it is. Like, I had never been able to articulate before because I thought it was – I'm like, oh, well, I have a nonfiction going, and then maybe I'll have like a romance or sci-fi going. No, no, no. It's actually not about genre. It's about how hard I'm working – as I'm reading the book, because some sci-fi takes like a huge amount of brain power, and some nonfiction is like, you know, I'm just gonna like tear through it and like vice versa, like it's it's not consistent to genre. So this was like a revelation to me. I was like, oh, right, I have an easy book going, I have a hard book going, and I have a bedtime book going. Those are my three stacks. So like I'm totally gonna help like make that my guide for as I finish one thing, like, okay, which which stack was this in? Was it hard, was it easier, or was it bedtime? And then, then I will adjust accordingly. So thanks, Tookie. <laughs> okay. I also,
2: like, I thought about that for a long time after I read the right? sentence. Like, that is genius. It's so smart. And how did it not just happen naturally? Right. I don't know. Anyway, everyone yeah. can read the sentence.
1: <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. I'm, sh- I'm, like, going through it a little slowly because it's, you know, it's, like, it's, hit- hits- it's hitting me where it hurts in some mm-hmm. parts Um, in the best possible way. But, yeah, it's, it's a... It is so good. Okay. Well... This has been our, like, year-behind, year-ahead mm-hmm. review. Thanks thanks for coming along on this journey with us. Uh, and thanks also to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is possibly magic. Thank you all, as always, for listening. Stick it with us. 300-plus episodes. We super appreciate that. Um, if you'd like more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. You can leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcast and now Spotify if you are so inclined and it does help other people to find the show so please feel free to do that thanks to our sponsors for making the show possible and in between shows Amanda where are you? I'm on Instagram
2: at I'm Amanda Nelson
1: and you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL J-E-N-N-I-R-L or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL and we will be back next week with answers to your reading questions